0: Thanks, Jack. This couple that uh, they bought a house, moved in this neighborhood. It's kind of of those tight neighborhoods, older neighborhoods. Everybody's kind of close to each other. And the guy got settled in for the week. And they were Saturday morning. Thought it'd be really cool. You know, we're off work. Let's get up. Let's have breakfast together. And let's have coffee together. So they got up in the morning, and they're doing that. And the wife goes to the window, and she's looking out the window, and she can see the backyard and the neighbors, and she sees the neighbor lady, who they had not met yet, out hanging up her laundry early in the morning on the clothes, clothesline. And she noticed that the laundry looked dirty. And she's like, I don't think she knows how to run her washing machine. And the husband just looked straight ahead, knowing that any comment right then would probably get him in trouble, Right? And this kind of went on to the next week. They thought that's a neat thing. Let's get up and have breakfast and morning coffee. They're there. She she goes to the kitchen window and there's her neighbor again putting out her laundry. And she noticed again, the laundry looks dirty. She's like, I think she's using the wrong soap. And this goes on for the whole month. And after about a month. She gets up, they have breakfast, same routine. She goes to the window, neighbors, there are hanging up laundry, and she knows the laundry looks great. And she goes to her husband, she says, she finally figured out how to do her laundry. And the husband said, I got up early this morning and washed the window in our kitchen. <laughs> ah, right? How do we see people? How do we see people? Well, welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here. Uh, It's good to see a bunch of new faces in here. Also, thank you for those who are online. You know, we still have about 100 and some people online every Sunday, part of the family, and so we want to welcome those who are online with us, too. My name for our guest is Brian. I'm our lead pastor here. And uh, a little heads up to those who are online, if you watched our newsletter, we are doing communion uh, later today, so if you can grab, if you have the communion sets there at home, uh, if you don't, grab a hot dog bun and juice. It works, but we want you to join us at home, too as we celebrate communion here a little bit later Uh, the worship guide to our guests we would love it if you'd fill out this connect card drop it off in one of those boxes go out to our welcome center but we would love to connect with you on Monday and see uh, see how we can how your experience went with us because like Lene says we're glad you're part of our family today we're continuing a series called matters of the heart Uh, and so just a little quick, quick recap week one we talked about what does the Bible say about the heart it says a lot about the heart And we talked about what the heart is And it's the center of everything that comes out of us And then week two we talked about uh, guard your heart We talked about putting a watchman there at our heart To guard it from the things and keep it healthy And let Jesus do his work there The third week we talked about How do we guard our heart in relationships, right? And so if we guard our heart But how do we have relationships And how does love pour out of our heart in relationships? And then last week uh, Pastor Dylan shared With about the hardened heart how do I deal with a hardened heart? And how do I soften my heart as the Bible tells us to? And so one thing, if you kind of notice this whole series, is that it talks a lot about we are made for community, each one of us. We are made for community. We're made to be in relationship. Uh, and the condition of our hearts, this is important, the condition of our hearts is a primary reason a community thrives or it dies right think about it in my family the condition of my heart can help my family thrive or my family can die inside the church community our hearts can help us thrive or they can kill us literally tear us apart also our community at work our community at recreation you know wherever our community with our neighbors we talk about this every sunday our community with our neighbors Thrives or dies based on the condition of my heart. One one of the strongest reasons I want to talk about today, one of the strongest reasons community thrives or dies is how we see people. I want to say that one more time. One of the strongest reasons community thrives or dies is how you and I see people. How we see people invites them in and makes them feel comfortable and want to be part of our community, of our family, our, our church family or it drives them away, right? So today we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about how our heart judges others. Yikes, right? Who's like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this one. Or it's like, yeah, we get to judge people, right? There's a poem I want to start. I think that sets a tone. And it goes like this. It says, I was shocked confused and bewildered as I entered heaven's door not by the beauty of it all nor the lights or its decor but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp the thieves the liars the sinners the alcoholics and the trash There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And everyone's so quiet, so somber. Give me a clue. Hush, child, Jesus said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. <laughs> See, that's why we start off with a little humility, right? I think it's that uh, poem kind of hits us right in the heart. We I want to ask you this question. For those online, chime in there on Facebook Live. What do you think is the most quoted scripture of everybody, globally? What is the most quoted scripture? Come on. John John 3.16. For every major sport event, I would agree, but I'm not going to agree on that one today. It's a great one, it is, but I think there's one that we use much more today. What? Give me another one. Judge not. Love that neighbor is good, itself is a good one. It's Probably the most powerful verse, one of the most powerful, but it is. I would argue the most quoted verse globally today is judge not. Judge not. Here's your first sermon note together. For our guests, these are on the back of our worship guide. There's an outline here of the sermon. Our first note together is the most quoted scripture is don't judge me. Don't judge me. It's a paraphrase this is quoted between Christians and Christians it's quoted between Christians and non-Christians for non-Christians it's probably the most quotable most common quote they use about Christians don't judge me. it actually comes from Matthew the gospel of Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 and this is a full part of it this is what the verse says it says do not judge others and you will not be judged most people condense that, saying, don't judge me. How do I know that's one of the most common quoted ones? You know, what's funny, too, is uh, I'm not digging on you King James, per- King James version people, but this is the one that we commonly quote in King James. Judge not, lest you be judged, right? The reason why I think this is... Um, when I looked at a survey, this is actually done just a little bit over a decade ago, Barna and Pew, to the major uh, researchers that study trends in Christianity, they did a survey of non-Christians, people that are outside the faith, and they asked them the top three words that they would use to describe a Christian. So, non-Christians describing Christians, top three words. The first word is judgmental. They the survey showed that Christians commonly look down on others who do not share their values. The second word that was most common, non-Christians to Christians, is they're hypocritical. They don't live by the moral values they claim to follow, especially in loving your neighbor as yourself. The third one, this is over 10 years ago, that would describe non-Christians describing Christians as they are anti-gay, third one. And that is a specific sect they see Christians judge. What's interesting is that that survey is over 10 years old. 2016, they surveyed just millennial Gen Z, The uh, the two generations that are fleeing the church or staying away from the church. And the word anti-gay rose way up the list five years ago. It was number one. Today, in recent surveys, there is a new word that's creeped into the top three, it's political. They see Christians as all about politics and that's really creeped in the last six to eight months. I'm not sure it's fair as I think about the people in this church and the people that I know and their love for Christ and love for others that I would say that that's fair to say we're judgmental, hypocritical, anti-gay and political. However, when I'm outside the church and all I see on news media is people claiming to be Christian carrying signs that say God hates fags, horrible language. When I see politics that destroy people that don't have the same values, I can see where they're coming from because that's what they see about Christians versus the Christians I think are in this room. And how do we respond? I mean, I know this does not feel good. Write these sermons, right? <laughs> it's like, what's our response when somebody says, you know, Christians, when we're talking to a non-Christian and they say, man, they're judgmental, hypocritical, anti-gay, political. What do we normally respond? How dare they? They're being bigots themselves, Right? And what happens? The Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, see, you did it again. You just judged again. I can probably say with 100% confidence that we all struggle with this, being judgmental at times. I would say what, with confidence is that we don't always judge clearly. And some of you were saying, Brian, how do you have the right to judge me? <laughs> right? It's a joke. You guys can laugh at some of this. I know it's a heavy topic, but... So here's a list. You know I like lists. Here's a list that says, how can I examine my own heart? This is all about heart. How can I examine my own heart and tell, do I have a judgmental heart? And here's some areas, and I want to give some credit to the pastor J.D. Greer. I stole a couple of his I really liked. But here's a list that says, this is how I know that I'm probably struggling at times with a judgmental heart. The first one, I am more enraged at someone else's sin than I am embarrassed by my own. I am enraged more at somebody else's sin than I am embarrassed by my own. This is that that word hypocrisy, right? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a pastor back around the 1940s, he shared that the first signs of Christian maturity the first signs of Christian maturing to be like Christ is frustration with this issue of hypocrisy that I don't be like that. I want to be like Christ. The second one, how can I, tell I have a judgmental heart? I refuse to forgive and/ or forget. To refuse to forgive is to remain in judgment of somebody. To hold power over that situation, To forget, I don't know if it's fair to say forget. I don't think we ever forget being hurt. But to use it as a weapon is wrong. Forgiveness for Christians is always should be a goal. And sometimes it takes time, right? Sometimes it takes time to move towards forgiveness. But you should always be praying. We should always be praying to God, move us towards forgiveness as a goal. If we don't, we remain in judgment. Third, how can I tell I have a judgmental heart? I join the cancel culture. So this is kind of a new phrase that some of you are familiar with. It's been around since social media has really been, been popping up. But when I disagree or somebody offends me, I shut them down, I cut them off, I unfriend them, I ghost them, or I block them. Right? That's the cancel culture. I can just turn you off. The problem with this, the cancel culture, as we're experiencing today, is as it's phrased, is it is the ultimate judgment that says, depart from me. And that's where it's problematic and wrong for the Christian. And it comes a lot of times from an unwillingness myself in my heart to accept criticism. Fourth one, how can I tell I have a judgmental heart? I, I gossip. That's kind of old school. It's been around a long time, right? We commonly hide as Christians our, our, our gossip in our prayer requests. Hey, you know what we should pray for? Her because they, la, 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 la. Or um, we start with this phrase. Maybe this is a old school too, but oh, bless their heart. Did you know? And we go into <laughs> a little dive. Oh, bless their heart. But did you know? And we gossip about them. And gossiping is when we say something negative and we have no heart to go and change or make a difference in what we see going on in somebody else's life. Another way that we may have a judgmental heart, and this is the last one, is is I hold on to the life-saving ring. So life-saving rings, a big white ring with red rope that you see in a pool or on a ship. It's designed that when somebody's drowning, I can cast it out to them Holding on to the rope, and I can draw them to me, right? That's what a life saving ring is. And what happens when we see somebody struggling in life, having trouble staying above water, whether it's sin or the circumstances in their life, despite the prompting of the Holy Spirit to get involved, we say, I don't want to get involved, and I hold on to the life saving ring. I don't throw it. I may judge them as hopeless like I don't want to get involved their situation is hopeless I will tell you as a church we see situations during the week that seem really hopeless but we know that's not true to say somebody and to judge them as hopeless is to say I do not believe the Bible is true and that the Holy Spirit can change a person to believe that somebody is hopeless is to say I'm not going to give them a chance to receive grace And to see somebody and write him off and hold on to that life-saving ring is to forget, ladies and gentlemen, that we worship a Savior who raises the dead. He can do this. Look at that list. <laughs> that's that's maybe some different angles that we don't normally think about. But I think we all can look at that and say, "Yeah, at times I struggle." with where my heart's at when it comes to how I see people. Jesus, well, before I jump into that, here's a quote I think will help. I think, now let's shift gears. This is a little heavy, right? So let's shift gears. Kerry Newhoff, pastor, writes a great leader blog. He he gave us this quote. He said, very few people get judged into life change. Many people get loved into it. And I think that's the shift we need to see as we go into the scriptures today and look at this issue of judging with our hearts. Jesus knew our hearts could be judgmental in a bad way. So I want to jump into the most quoted verse, and I would argue the most misquoted verse, of Matthew 7, 1. And I want us to go there together. So if you want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew in your your Bible with me, Uh, we're going to go through one through five. We're going to stay centered on this all day today. These are the very words of Jesus. You know, you look through the Bible and there's a lot of verses about judging. Can I judge somebody or can I not judge somebody? And I think what we do is we go to this this scripture, which is Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is a time where Jesus is, is preaching to a lot of his disciples and he's telling them, My kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is coming to earth now in me. And so since the kingdom of heaven is here, we're ushering it in. I need you to help me usher it in too. This is how we are to live. This is how we are to have our hearts towards ourselves and towards each other. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. And so we get to Matthew 7, 1. It's it's the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna start here in verse 1. But again, these are the very words of Jesus. And the reason why I wanna use this is because all the other verses, when you look at this one, I think all the other ones in the Bible make sense. So Jesus starts in verse 1. He says, do not judge others. And you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. so we look at the new testament greek on this word judge there's there's two primary uses of the word judge in this scripture one is positive it means to analyze to discern and to make a decision so there's a positive note behind the word judge in the way it's used it's the same word but it's also used the same very greek word is used to say in the negative to say to condemn And Jesus is saying, as we read through verses 1 and 2, he's saying, do not judge. He's saying, do not condemn others. That is not your job or my job, to condemn people. But he is saying, he's not giving us a moratorium. Let me go back to that. He's not giving us a moratorium to say, do not judge, period. He's saying, do not condemn, but let me show you how we analyze, discern, and decide how do we judge people in a proper way and he starts here in verse 2 he says as you for you will be treated as you treat others the standard you use the standard we use to see somebody else will be the standard used for us let me change that word to a similar word the scales we use the scale i use to judge somebody is the scale that will be used for me by God. Dr. Douglas Sean O'Connell, he's a theologian and a writer, he talks about these two scales, and it's your next sermon note. He says the scale of mercy is very forgiving. The scale of justice is very act- exacting. What he means, the scale of mercy is how God judges you and I through Christ it's very forgiving if I follow Christ and I believe he died on that cross for me for the price of my sin the scale that God uses for me is very forgiving it's a scale of mercy the scale of justice is very exacting the scale of justice will weigh every sin I have in my life and it will counter it with an equal penalty to offset it for justice demands an equal payment The scale of mercy that God uses with us, the scale of justice which weighs each and every sinful thought, word, and action, and gives the proper weighted punishment. How do we want God to judge us? I think we would all answer from what we know the scales of mercy, right? Then that is how we are to judge others. Jesus says the standards that you use will be the standards that you will be judged by. Jesus says, use the scales of mercy the same way that you are judged. Use those in judging others. But he continues. Let's go to verse 3. He continues to describing how we judge. Starting verse 3, and why worry about a speck, a speck, in your friend's eye, when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Now I think I should reread this Because I, I, when I read this I think this is actually funny I think it's Jesus being funny I think he's actually He's using hyperbole He's using a very dramatic statement And so I want to caution you if, you if you read the Bible And every time you see the red letters Jesus' words And you always think of a school marm Out on the playground Getting after all the kids That's Jesus' voice all the time Don't, don't, rah, 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 rah That's not the voice of Jesus I see I think this is hilarious. I think he's being pretty funny and saying, hey, why worry about the speck? Dude, guys, when you got a log in yours, and I think the disciples laugh, but they understand the seriousness of how dramatic this statement is. But I think he's being funny on purpose to draw a point. Speck, the speck in your friend's eyes. You guys know speck. You get a speck in your eye, they're really irritating. They can drive us nuts. That speck represents the sin or circumstances in somebody else's life as we see it. It Says, How can I worry about the sin or situation in someone else's life when I have a log problem in my own? Jesus is saying this. Side note, never ask your youth pastor for a small log. (laughs) (laughs) He gives you a 10 foot Anyway, so this is this is what this is the analogy that Jesus is saying. He's saying he's saying that speck in your friend's eye. How can you see that when you've got a log in your own? Jesus is saying this is pretty dramatic, but I want to make a point. This log. Let me back up here a second. He's talking about our eyes. Our eyes are how we see people. Our eyes are how our hearts examine people. He said the log in your eye blurs, hides your ability to see. The log that he's talking about is our sin. This represents our sin. He said not only is is our sin a big deal, And it has a heavy penalty. But if we're not seeing through our own sin, it's like trying to look through a log as somebody else's circumstances in their life. Here's the other problem with a log. Is this one's probably close to 10 feet long. And I can't get close enough to somebody to see what's really going on in their life when I've got a 10-foot log stuck in mine. That makes that distance. I can't get close to somebody when I got a log this big in my eye.. I'm not asking my youth pastor again <laughs> for a log. It's a great, I appreciate him so much. Look at our third sermon out together. Scales and logs help us see clearly. First, they help us see ourselves clearly. The posture of our heart is so important here. Before I can judge my brother, my sister, my neighbor, I have to get my heart right. A loving heart that judges lovingly uses the same scales that I'm judged with. A loving heart that knows the depth, Width and penalty and suffering caused by my sin. A loving heart that knows that, the cost it took to be forgiven. A loving heart can see the impact of sin on my own life. So first, scales and logs help us see ourselves clearly. But Let's take a look at verse 5 now where Jesus gives us the application. He says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, then, it's such a big word. If you have a pen and you write in your Bible, underline then like four times. First, get rid of the log in your own eyes. Then you will see well enough to deal with, to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So this is not a moratorium to not judge. This is how we judge. Scales and logs not only help us see ourselves clearly, they help us see others clearly. When I remove that log out of my own eye and I can get close enough to that person, I can act right towards them. I can understand the context of their situation and their sin. I can have empathy. We did a whole sermon on this in early July or early January. Empathy. I can can get there and be in their space and understand. Jesus gives us some real clear instruction here. Step one, see our sin first. Two, take that log out of your eye. Then, then, then deal with the speck in another's eye how do we deal with that speck? well we see the sin or the circumstance that's really messing with their lives and then we get in there close to them we help them see the damage that's doing and we do it in such a loving way that they trust us to reach into that eye and help remove the speck that's how we want to judge And I think this point, your fourth sermon note, I think is a really important point That summarizes all this That we judge in action Not a person Judge an action, not a person Remember we are not God We are not Jesus We don't have the right to condemn So we do not judge a person But we can judge the act And Jesus has shown us how to so the scales of mercy and by removing the log and understanding the own sin impact in our own lives so we can help see what it does to somebody else's life, then we can remove a speck. Good hearts don't leave specks in our brother or sister or neighbor's eye. Good hearts do not leave a speck in our brothers or sisters or our neighbor's eyes when we judge somebody's actions not the person when we judge somebody's actions it should only be for one reason and one reason only and it's to help them the only reason I should judge somebody is because I want to help because I know how I've been judged and how I've been helped right and so step sorry sermon number five step into another's world to help them now that that plank's removed I don't have 10 feet of distance I can step into the world I can help somebody when I'm close the worst thing we could ever do as a church is be in an aquarium where we come here for every Sunday and we get what we need and we go out in the world and we don't care what's going on in everybody else's lives. But then when we see sin and pain and suffering, that we ask God to join us as we go in. We step in to help. This is beautifully summarized in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. The scripture reads this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another man is overcome by some sin, You who are godly Should gently And humbly Help that person Back onto the right path And be careful Not to fall into The same temptation Yourself Share each other's burdens Say that with me Share each other's burdens That's what happens When we step into Somebody's life We share their burden Of sin Pain Suffering And in this way To obey And in this way We obey the law of Christ we have to be able to get close, to get close we can't have that thing sticking out of our eye to get close we have to have empathy that cares enough to see beyond the sin and the circumstance and see what's going on in our life there's a psychologist who said I saw this cute dog, here's kind of an analogy, I see this cute dog and this cute dog is there I come up to it and all of a sudden it just starts snarling and growling and rawr and it's like okay that's not such a cute dog anymore And then all of a sudden the wind blew and the leaves moved and I noticed that the dog's leg was caught in a trap. I got to see it's why it was growling and snarling. I understood why. And then I can make a judgment. John Wesley said we should, John Wesley's, an old theologian who has a lot of basis behind how we believe the Bible. He says, we should not judge a brother without full, clear, certain knowledge, without absolute necessity, without tender love. Humbly, gently. I'm gonna ask the worship team to join me up here, but I wanna share this with you. Here's the core value of our church. We just went over these last fall. The core value of our church is hearts filled with truth and grace out of John 14, 1.14, that our example, how we are to live is how Christ lived, as described in John 1.14, that he lived full of truth and grace. And how do we live full of truth and grace as we're describing? Well, we put the example on your chair. On your chair, and for those at home online with us today, We can sure bring you one of these if you want one. (laughs) On their chair is a lifesaver. Wintergreen or peppermint, depending on how you landed today. On your chair is a lifesaver. This is a reminder. How many here already ate it? Like, I can't use this. Anybody already eat it? Do you need another one? We won't judge you. We can. (laughs) I encourage you to like buy a whole bag of these and have them in your pocket, have it on your desk, have them in your car, as a reminder, as a reminder to be bold and engage people when their lives are miserable and they're full of sin and they got bad circumstances, it's a reminder to love them first. It's a reminder to throw a life-saving ring to them. Listen to the spirit in your life. And a life-saving ring, remember, has a rope. So when they get the life singing ring and they're drowning, you can pull them closer to you because you don't have this in your eye. And as you pull them close to you and you get them really close, you'll be able to see what's going on in their life. And the same scales of mercy that were given to you and I can be given to them to help them. And right when you have them the closest, put this in your mouth because nobody likes bad breath that's a pastoral tip if you ever want one of those we talk, we talk with people a lot okay did that ruined the moment but anyway buy a whole bag every time you see one of these little lifesavers I want you to remember how we have been saved by the lifesaver Jesus and with a good judging heart and the power of the Holy Spirit we can be a lifesaver too And we can bring people into the community of faith simply by loving them. And one day they can be in this community of faith because you're an amazing group of people who love like Jesus. We can bring them here instead of pushing them away. God came close to us through Jesus. Jesus got really close. He knows our sin, and He knows the penalty for that sin. Jesus took the very log that was in our eyes, it was made into a cross, and He was nailed to it to pay the price. So we weren't judged by the scales of justice, but we were judged by the scales of mercy. Jesus became our lifesaver. And we remember this in communion. We go back to the cross. We look at the penalty paid. We look at the death, the cost it took for our log. And we look at him rising again to promise us that new life and save us. Our communion table here is open. If you're a guest with us today and you're a follower of Jesus, please join us. We're all one family. Amen. There is a cup on your chair. It's in a little ring. It looks like this. I'd encourage you, we're going to go into worship to start our communion time together. There's a little cellophane layer. I encourage you to pull back first and then there's a foil layer that reveals the juice. You might want to do that while we're jumping into this song. But I'd ask that we all reflect as we go into worship together about the lifesaver that we can be because of the lifesaver who entered our lives.
1: i You are the reason king by a strike. The power of sin is broken, the power of sin is broken, Jesus overcame.
0: time of remembrance, it's also a time that we come together, it's an event where we come together as one family centered on one thing together that brings us together, this moment binds us as a community of faith, and so I want to use it in a special way today, not only in the remembrance of Jesus and His death on the cross and His resurrection which gives us life but Jesus also gives us a promise That for those of us who believe in him, that we'll have eternal life too, that we will one day raise from the dead. But there's also a statement I want to make here is that when you and I take the bread and we take the juice together, I want us to act like Jesus towards each other. I want us to make a promise to each other in community. The first promise is I won't judge you with a wrong heart, to my brothers and sisters. The second promise is that I will love you as I am loved by Jesus. The third is that I will remove the log from my eyes so I can help you with the speck in yours. And the last is that I will correct you and encourage you just like I want you to correct and encourage me. This moment brings together what Christ did for us. And when we judge each other like that, we will grow as a church and we're that strong we'll reach others to help them into the same life-saving moment that we're remembering now in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 it says on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into all these pieces and he gave it to all his closest friends that are gathered with him in a community of faith and he said this is my body which is given for you He said to take this in remembrance of Him. Jesus came close and gave His life so that we could live. Let us take this bread together, remembering and thanking Him for removing that log from our eyes. as the scripture continues in chapter 11 it says in the same way Jesus took a cup of wine after supper saying this cup is a new covenant it's the new agreement it's the last agreement it's the only agreement we need now today it's a new covenant between God and his people he says an agreement that's confirmed in my blood which is what the juice symbolizes the blood of Christ he said do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink from it from every time you drink or eat this bread and drink this cup You are announcing the Lord's death until He comes back. This cup, this juice, symbolizes Jesus' blood poured out for us. We're now, because of that, connected to God. He lives us in us and us, and we live in Him in this loving community. We're dependent on Him, and now we're dependent on each other. And so, let's take this together as a family, celebrating we are loved. And we are to go out and share the same love with others. And let us return to worship.
1: Death could not hold you down. You are the reason. Oh, we mean it. You're seated in magic.
0: Go ahead take a seat just for a second. I want to catch up on one thing. This, today's scripture was from the Sermon on the Mount. And like I mentioned, this is where Jesus teaches us how to live today, to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth now. It starts now. And it changes our hearts as we live together in community. But the goal of the mission of the church is to bring others into this faith community. And it starts with us reaching out, just like we talked about. There's two ways, though, I want to I want to bring up that we add people into the community of faith, and Lene talked about them just a little bit earlier. The first is child dedication, that we're getting ready to do a child dedication. We might be aiming for Mother's Day, but it'll be depending upon, uh, you know, I said in the first service, I said, there was a lot of children born in the last year during COVID, and everybody laughed. I couldn't understand why, and I thought, okay, yeah, we got a lot of soldiers here. You <laughs> know, I'm a little slow sometimes, but it's like, we do. We have a lot of babies that have been born, but we haven't had a chance. And as we move back into community interacting, Um, We're getting ready to do this And so for those of you curious Child dedication is where the parents bring their child up here And and they share a scripture verse That's important to them for this child And and they, they pledge to raise this child In the ways of the Lord And you as a church also take the vows To come behind them For it takes a village to support a family And raise a child Until one day that child makes a decision on their own And is baptized So that's one way into the community of faith symbolically The second way is baptism we're going to be have baptizing here. It's time to get back. We'll put chlorine in the water. Everybody be safe, right? We're going to baptize the week after Easter, uh, April 11th. And this is a way that you declare: if you've never been baptized, you've never had the chance to say that I understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And when I go in that water, I leave my old self behind. And on that day, I rise up new. I'm a new creation, a new person, clothed in Christ. And that day is like the biggest day of your life. And so it's time to get back and baptize. If you've had this on your heart, pay attention. Uh, A couple of things is on this connect card, if you would put your name uh, and just a contact information on the back, check that I'm interested in dedicating my child or I'm interested in baptism. We're going to have a baptism class. We'll get with you about both of those. You can drop those cards in our our offering baskets or boxes here as you leave. For those of you online, this is attached online. You can print this off. You can uh, respond automatically also on there and let us know. But let me encourage you, if baptism is beyond your heart, come to our class and learn about what it's all about. And this church goes nuts, amen, when people are baptized because we know how big of a day that is. So so that's there um, I'd like to wrap up here by we haven't done offering yet so I want to remind us offering is a time of worship for all of us and I'm going to ask us to give our biggest offering ever today and it's ourselves if you have a financial gift today when you leave you can drop them in the boxes in the back for those online or, or you can also always give online it fuels the mission of our church but I'm going to ask for a special offering today of all that we have and would you bow your heads with me Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this ability to see people and where they're at and see ourselves and make a difference in people's lives. Father, our offering today is ourselves. The biggest offering we can give you is our life, our time, our treasure, our talent, whatever way we can express that the best to you. Father, today there might be some families here that have a little one to say, I'm gonna be bold and get up on that stage. And I'm not going to be ashamed to say I'm going to raise my child in the way of the Lord In a tough world Because I need this community to do that And Father, there's there's some people here some people online that say I need to get in the water I need to drive what we say A stake in the ground and say I belong to Jesus and I'm not ashamed of it And rise up new and know that day That nothing can take that away from me And I start my journey with this whole community of faith here as we cheer with you, as we walk with you, as we disciple with each other. That is a big offering to you today, Lord. So, Father, let our offering bless you in a special way. Let us be bold in our actions as a church. Let us go out and change the world that needs to know Jesus. And we pray all this in His mighty name. And all God's people said